0: Now, all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis.
1: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Today, we have a very interesting guest for several reasons. We have Dale Falwell, who's the treasurer of the state of North Carolina, the 28th treasurer. And uh, just so you'll know, we are doing this by remote. Dale is in one location on Zoom, and I'm in another. And uh, we, we do most of our broadcasts that way this day because we're trying to follow the distancing and uh, other rules of uh, protocol and uh, helping to uh, slow down the spread of this, uh, this uh, disease. And in that regard, Dale Falwell, of course, it's well chronicled, was one of the people who, have, who has had the uh, coronavirus and uh, who was treated and who has recovered. And you're now back to work. But Dale, how about t- sort of telling us a little bit about uh, before we get into the issues facing the state and uh, the differences that are coming about because of all of this, as far as your uh, role as state treasurer. But let's talk a little bit about your personal life, if you will share this with us, about your sure. whole experience with the coronavirus virus.
2: Well, thank you, Don. Thank you, Jason, uh, for putting this together. Uh, I'm one of the uh, individuals, Don, that uh, your listeners uh, have heard about. I was asymptomatic. Uh, which means I had no shortness of breath, no fever, no headache, no GI issues, and no loss of taste or smell. Uh, ultimately, when I was uh, tested for COVID-19, <clears throat> and after I tested positive, I went to the doctor a couple of days later uh, to my primary care physician back in Winston Salem, and uh, he did X-rays and blood work, and he asked me if I had an oximeter, which is a thing you put on the end of your finger. And I, because I've raced motorcycles for so long, uh, I always have an ox meter with me to check what condition I'm in when I get off the track after two hours of racing. And uh, he said, if your oxygen level starts to fall <coughs> into the high 80s, then you should uh, report to the emergency room immediately. And that happened about Saturday uh, night. It started to fall. And, and Sunday morning, uh, I told my uh, wife, Cynthia, I said, uh, you need to take me to the emergency room. Once we arrived at the emergency room at the Baptist Hospital, you know, there's a whole protocol for our COVID uh, folks. Uh, uh, she, you know, she sent with me a, a, a care package uh, and none of that was allowed in. Uh, we said goodbye in the parking lot and uh, I was in the emergency room for 23 minutes and then the next five and a half days were, were very intensive as far as uh, my treatment for COVID-19.
1: And, uh, I think you are like so many others. You're not quite sure where you may have uh, contracted the, uh, virus. Uh, that's
2: correct. Uh, there's no way of knowing it. I'm, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure I got it in Raleigh, uh, either before or, or after my uh, four day trip, uh, because no one that I was in the room with on the trip, no one I was in the van with on the trip, no one I was in lodging with at the trip. Uh, I got COVID-19 and, and as you know, Don, uh and your listeners know that, you know, we're hearing reports now of people who had these two week symptoms back in, uh, in January. So it's hard to know, uh, when I had it or when I, who I got it from, uh, <clears throat> we are learning that folks with my blood type, uh, males, my age over the age of 60 with a negative blood or have a different, uh, propensity possibly to attract COVID-19, but, uh, it was touch and go, uh, and a lot of touch by, caregivers, you know, RNs, CNAs, and the like, uh, who uh, held my hand and, and, and prayed with me and, and uh, got me discharged from the hospital about six days later.
1: So how long was it before you really felt like you were sort of back up to where you felt like you could come to work and, and uh, resume some sort of a normal life activity pattern?
2: Well, a great question. I was actually alert the whole time as far as the keeper of the public purse and the state treasurer. Uh, But uh, there's a lingering cough that uh, when when your lungs were in the shape that mine were in. And uh, I've had that cough uh, for the last 30 years at least. And it's normally worse around Eastern pollen season. Uh, But the cough is the last thing to go. And even, Don, nine days after Uh, I was released from the hospital. I was my frustration with not being able to suppress the cough was sort of wearing me down. Uh, My stamina was good, but the cough was horrible. And I had a doctor call me and said, Mr. Falwell, uh, do you know how a sword swallower stays in business? And uh, I said, I have no idea. He said, a sword swallower stays in business by training his brain not to cough, gag, or 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 sneeze while they're performing and And,
1: sneezing particularly would be a little dangerous
2: yes and 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 i said that's very interesting how does that relate to me he said your lungs because of the condition they're in have been training your brain to call for 36 days and it's going to take a while to unprogram that um so uh ultimately uh After I got out of the hospital, I was tested negative, tested positive for the antibodies, tested negative for COVID-19, and I'm back to my uh, 15-hour days as keeper of the public purse, and and my stamina has never been greater.
1: Let me ask you something you said, because I have not, in all the the, uh, discussion about uh, COVID-19 and the possible treatments and so forth, I have not heard that uh, fact about uh, males with A-negative blood are more at risk, uh, is, is wh- wh- where did you hear that?
2: Well, I heard it just, uh, 30 minutes ago when I was <clears throat> talking to someone else on an unrelated issue. And, and my wife has been reading stories about that because, uh, you know, when your loved one, um, uh, when you get out of the car at the hospital, they really don't have any contact with you. Yeah. Uh, their only contact with me was through, uh, reports <clears throat> from the nursing station. Uh, twice a day so uh, Cynthia spent uh, her time sort of researching uh, that and, and I've heard that and uh, but you know this is an equal opportunity offender it affects uh, everyone regardless of uh, race creed or color or blood type
1: so now how are you running your office now and how are you working in your relations direct relations with others I know we're on a zoom conference but are you practicing uh, and suggesting that everyone practice social distancing and wearing masks and things of this nature? Well, absolutely.
2: Uh, right right. two parking lots over from where you're sitting is, is the treasurer's office. And uh, uh, we uh, ceased <coughs> operations at the treasurer's office as far as being in the office uh, uh, when the governor shut down state government. And uh, that's very uh, – important to your listeners because you know don we're in the check delivery business we we just sent out three hundred forty five thousand retirement checks uh totaling 538 million dollars just for one 30-day period and so we're very proud of all the teams at the treasurer's office whether it's financial operations investment management or the retirement system or the state health plan or unclaimed property state and local government we're very proud of the fact that we've been able to work remotely I have been in the office uh, for the last five and a half weeks, at least three, four, or four and a half days a week. And I would say that there's a generally on average, there's been about 20 people in the, in the whole complex.
1: You know, it's interesting uh, how resourceful we've all gotten in our businesses, because I think we have learned a lot of good tricks, one of which are, we're using right now, Zoom and using the internet to to not only speak with people, but they also see them. There is a big difference in having a teleconference where you can't see a person and having a zoom or one of the other services similar to zoom, uh, mm-hmm. where you can see the face and the expressions because that's so much a part of communications. So I'm assuming that you're doing a fair amount of zooming.
2: Oh, uh, and absolutely. And, and you know, and your listeners know and your advertisers know there's, there, there's nothing that replaces that face to face contact. Uh, Uh, you know, as far as body language and being an intentional listener, but this is the next best thing. And, and, you know, you and I have both always been told we have radio faces. So uh, this is a, this is a leap into the unknown for us to be on zoom.
1: Yeah. I had a good friend who was a great writer of a lot of uh, music hits and uh, Chad Adkins one time, he wanted to be a performer, but he was a really good writer. Uh, John D. Lattermilk wrote a lot of big hits back in the sixties and seventies, including, uh, uh, a number for George Hamilton the 4th but anyway uh, uh that's what Chad Atkins told him he said son you need to understand you're a good writer and you got a face for being writers <laughs> 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 and so at that point in time he uh turned his career to the writing, and it turned out to be very successful. Dale, do you think that in the future we're going to see more and more people, uh, government people, uh, government offices work out of the home now that we've kind of learned to see this? Because this would re- reduce substantially the amount of office space we take if we're able to do this.
2: Well, uh, I I've, I think so. Uh, but I spent a third of my life making my living with my hands and my back and my feet. And there are a lot of folks who can't earn a living through zoom. They, they make their living with their hands, back and feet, and of course their minds and their hearts. And, uh, so those folks, uh, you know, it's going to be very difficult to transition into a, to a medium like this, but you're exactly right. There are uh, many functions of state government, uh, that could possibly be done by zoom, uh, we have functions at, at the at the treasurer's office. You can imagine the amount of mail we get in every day. It just has to be done physically. Yeah, it has I, to be it has to be inputted physically, and it has to be processed and imaged physically.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's ever going to be a time where we are able to do this completely. But I do believe that we're going to learn that we can do more of it than we've done in the past. And now, the other uh, thing that comes up, and we've got about a minute left in this segment to talk about this. But in North Carolina, we do not have broadband everywhere, which is going to be a great handicap uh, to that movement where we begin to do things more remotely. Uh, that's something that we've got to address, I believe.
2: Well, we'll address that in the next segment uh, about all the gaps that uh, COVID-19 has, uh, has put sunshine on.
1: Yeah, and we'll talk about uh, the uh, the various uh, you know what's going to happen because of the shortfalls we're going to have in income and the increase in expenses. Dale Fowlwell, the North Carolina State Treasurer, is our guest, and we'll be back with more here on Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages.
2: Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. I came out in the 11th grade. Nobody was embracing you. The kids were cruel. It was very difficult to be gay. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. The hard part was determining that I was gonna do it, but I definitely didn't do
0: it alone. At age 30, with the help of her mentor, Carissa finished her high school diploma. I have a mentor, Maria. She convinced me to continue my education and to finish what I started to get my diploma. Just never judges. She's a true role model. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, go get it. You can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers.
2: For your teen's music taste.
0: For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit adoptuskids.org. Brought to you by the US Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council.
1: We continue
0: with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back with uh, Dale Falwell, the 28th treasurer of the state of North Carolina. He was a four-term member of the North Carolina House of Representatives, including two years as Speaker Pro Tem. And uh, then he also was uh, 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 in the uh, Commerce Department with the Employment Security Commission. So his background, uh, and also, of course, he's a certified public accountant, has uh, led him to... uh, have the interest in running for treasurer and, and being elected. And so we're going to talk now about the various results to uh, that you're going to have to deal with that are being caused by the COVID-19 impact. I, I guess we start with the, uh, the budget shortfall and revenue because that's going to have a huge impact on, on how the legislature moves on because we are a state that requires a balanced budget.
2: Well, absolutely. And uh, just to give you a a sort of an overview about the state of the state, uh, six weeks ago, uh, Don, and for your listeners, uh, we applied along with uh, OSBM, led the charge in the Controller's Office for the CARES Act money that your listeners have been hearing so much about, the big multi-trillion dollar stimulus plan passed by Congress and signed by the President. Uh, We applied for that, and uh, within three days, we received half of the $4 billion that we ultimately were going to receive, and a, a week or so later, we received the rest. So uh, to put this in the context, we applied for and received over $4 billion of a COVID CARES Act money. Now, when that money hit the treasurer's office, we immediately put in it into interest-bearing accounts, but $471 million of that was designated for three counties and one city. There are 100 counties in north carolina and 540 cities but 400 and nearly 500 million dollars of that covid care act money went to three counties and one city based on population wake guilford and mecklenburg are the counties and the city was charlotte so your listeners should be asking themselves why didn't raleigh get any and the reason is that there are a lot of incorporated areas inside of Raleigh, but there are not 500,000 people inside the city limits of Raleigh. So uh, $471 million went to three counties in one city. Uh, three weeks ago, the legislature passed a, a, a uh, COVID Act legislation. The governor signed it. So a billion and a half of that got appropriated. So where do we sit this morning? Uh, we have $2 billion dollars. Uh, sitting there and COVID care act money that has not been allocated. And my frustration with this money is that has strings attached. You know, we shouldn't have communities or the state itself to have be forced to buy an ambulance, for example, uh, just to check off a box that that ambulance was COVID-19 related or create a new program. <clears throat> this money needs to be used to backfill the expenses of Operating state and local governments and providing citizens with the services that they're accustomed to—public <coughs> education, public safety, public works, and public roads. <coughs> in addition to that, two billion that's still left there. There's another two billion dollars of unappropriated money from this year's budget, uh, which uh, runs out in, on June 30th when that budget period ends. And then there's a billion dollars sitting there for the rainy day fund. And there, even though there's tremendous frustration across the state with the unemployment system, it should be somewhat comforting to know, Don, that there's $3.3 billion sitting there in the unemployment trust fund, unlike when I was in charge of the agency in 2013. <clears throat> uh, back then, as you remember, Don, every time I paid out an unemployment benefit, I had to borrow the money from the federal government to pay the benefit. It should be somewhat comforting to know that once this backlog is cleared, at least there's $3.3 billion still in the unemployment trust fund to pay the claims. So that's sort of the state of the state right now financially.
1: How long will this $3.3 billion allow us to, uh, to cover the, the uh, pending cases? Because there are, of course, a, a lot of unemployment now. Uh, there was some good news uh, in the last unemployment report. Uh, it's gone down some, but we still have a number of people who are going to be depending on these benefits. So how long will that, three, that, uh, that fund last?
2: Well, uh, it needs to last. I don't know how long it will last because I'm, I'm no longer uh, close to those numbers, but it needs to last for one basic reason. <clears throat> if that fund goes to zero and negative like it did after 9-11 and at, like it did after 2009, And when that fund goes to negative or zero, the payroll taxes that employers have to pay at the state and the the federal level are increased. So think about the bizarreness of increasing payroll taxes while you're asking employers to hire or retain employees. So keeping it above zero is is vitally important. Uh, Secondly, um, just to to let you know that there's also a, a federal unemployment part that comes with this. And thirdly, and I hope this comes across as, as, uh, as genuinely as I mean for it to uh, on the radio and through Zoom, is that this, these statistics that you're seeing about who is employed and who is not employed sometimes is not based on uh, the reality of the fact that you're only considered unemployed if you're able available and seeking employment. If you're not able, available, and seeking employment, you're not part of the unemployed, <clears throat> even though there could be a nuance to that where you're going to be collecting unemployment. So this is a very serious matter, but obviously, Don, you and I are uh, getting closer to the same age every day. Uh, we've never seen uh, unemployment numbers like we're experiencing in North Carolina right now, and and my fear is, is that on a generational basis that this is going to create An economic inequality, not just among people, but among regions of North Carolina that will take years, if not decades, to grow out of.
1: So who is uh, looking at the uh, reopening of North Carolina and how that's going to affect the unemployment numbers? Uh, Have you seen any numbers on that yet as we reopen and begin to put some people back to work and resume uh, more of a normal economy? Uh, when will we get down to, say, 8% unemployment, for example? I guess that's the question I'm really asking because that's still high. Well,
2: well, absolutely. And, uh, you know, as you know, of all the times that I've been on your show, and for as long as you know me, I I attack problems and not people. And the problem is right now is that North Carolina is in a strong financial position to weather this storm, but there's been so much emphasis on the medical crisis and the medical flattening the medical curve <clears throat> there hasn't been any attention on flattening the economic curve and the economic crisis and uh, what I would say to you as a member of the member that one of the 10 members of the council of state uh, these are very uh, serious issues and the fact is that most of these policies and most of these decisions I can tell you firsthand have been made in secret uh, and so having the data that you just asked me about is not something that I um, have availability to, but more importantly, these policies have been very inconsistent. We have a lot of your listeners and a lot of your advertisers who were told on April 22nd that when we go into phase two, these are the things that need to happen. So you have listeners and advertisers uh, on at Curtis media who spent thousands hundreds of thousands and collectively millions of dollars upfitting and changing all their business practices because they were they were looking for the sounding of the bell that we're going to be reopening in phase two they spent all this money including ymcas for example they spent all this money to uh, change their whole mode of operation then they were told they weren't going to be open uh going into phase two this creates very uh a high degree of uncertainty and, uh, and these are the issues that become vitally important as we go forward. When people are locked down, they aren't mobile. And when they aren't mobile, they can't consume. And when they can't consume, they're not generating gas tax, sales tax, occupancy tax, and those other things that fund education, public safety, public works, and public roads.
1: The Payroll Protection Plan, or the PPP, was one of the plans that uh, the federal government provided and it has provided some relief for businesses with under 500 employees. Do you feel like that program is worked and is it working uh, because it's still in effect right now? And most of the people are now using that money. Some of them didn't even get it until uh, June or so. Uh, what's your opinion of that, uh, that pro- program, <coughs> the federal government uh, sponsored?
2: Well, uh, I'm in favor of the PPP, but as the state treasurer and the chairman of the banking commission, uh, you and I both know, and your listeners know there are some people that didn't get the money, uh, who, who do need it. <clears throat> and of course you can read, uh, in the N and and the listening to your show and the wall street journal about people who got the money and probably didn't deserve it. <clears throat> so anytime you're throwing hundreds of billions of dollars around, you have that opportunity for that to happen. What I wanna make sure of with the PPP is is that whatever policies and regulations and procedures that are coming out of Washington about how that plan is administered and what people need to do to make sure they stay in compliance with it needs to be sequenced and it needs to be crystal clear. The last thing these businesses, uh, big and large, need right now is to get inconsistency messaging and policies out of the federal or the state government about how these programs are administered so that uh, may put them in jeopardy of having to pay it back.
1: Well, I understand from those who are involved in that program that uh, the rules have uh, continued to be adjusted and in many cases in a positive way. In other cases, I guess it was not exactly what people were expecting, but uh, uh, do you think that program is over or will there be another round of that?
2: I'm not sure what, the round that I would like to see is uh, for lack of a better uh, word is the technical corrections to what they've already done. Uh, And that technical corrections for me would be loosening the bizarre strings that are attached to the COVID-19 stimulus money that's already been sent to the state. And that part of which the legislature has already passed. Uh, As I said earlier, there's nothing in our life right now. That's not COVID-19 related. The fact that we're doing this show uh, through Zoom is COVID-19. The fact that I had to meet uh, someone in Kannapolis on the way down here at a McDonald's where we had to stand and and eat a biscuit is COVID-19. The fact of most of the meetings I have today are issues related to COVID-19. I mean, to to say that something's not COVID-19 related when you're seeing these counties, especially in rural North Carolina and the cities, Facing 10, 20, and 30% shortfalls in sales tax revenues and occupancy tax revenues. That's why I'm making this technical correction so
1: important. Dale Fall is our guest, and we'll be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football
0: buddy, Go! or you, your best man, your worst man. <gasps> you, Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Pre-Diabetes Awareness Partners. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry.
1: Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me.
0: When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back with Dale Folwell, the uh, treasurer of the state of North Carolina. We've already talked about his personal involvement with uh, the coronavirus because he, of course, uh, was treated and has recovered. We've also talked about a number of other issues, now I think we need to turn to what it's done to the economic health of the state of North Carolina. Obviously we're going to have less tax money coming in. Obviously uh, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, what this does to our bond rating. Uh, and also of course, we've got the health of the cities and counties which have their own unique problems. And the only place they can turn to quite frankly is the state. So Dale, uh, let's just sort of tackle all of that. Uh, Let's start, I guess, with the uh, the shortfall in our anticipated uh, revenues for the next year uh, and contrast that with the fact that uh, during that period of time, we're going to have increased expenses. So how do we balance that budget?
2: Well, uh, it's been widely reported uh, out of the General Assembly that they're looking at shortfalls of somewhere between 3 and $4 billion. Uh, and that's why these reserves that I've already mentioned to your listeners uh, uh, are become so important. And that's why I say, not politically or emotionally, but mathematically, we have the potential of pulling out of this stronger and faster than any state our size. If we get the transparency, the data, the consistency, and the policies all aligned in the right direction. Well, so that's- a-
1: Go, ahead. Go ahead. Well, we Don't have that uh, famous uh, rainy day fund, which has in the past been basically used for weather-related emergencies but that can be used for this and uh, the term rainy day was not supposed to be necessarily directed at uh, only weather conditions but rainy days economically and we're having one how much money is in that uh, in that fund right now
2: uh, over 1.2 billion so there's 2 billion from the cares act money it's not appropriated there's 2 billion on top of that from the budget of this year that we're sitting in there's, and there's over a billion dollars in the rainy day fund and over 3 billion dollars in the unemployment trust fund so but your other point about counties and cities uh you know chalote and charlotte sound just alike uh, but they're in far different boats this morning don uh wilmington and windsor and winston-salem and waynesville all start with a letter w but locally at the county and the city level they're in much different uh situations and as i said in the earlier segment this covid19 this economic crisis where I appreciate more than anyone the focus on the sick, but we can't uh, punish the healthy along the way as it relates to people being uh, mobilized so that they can consume and start generating the taxes to, to support their communities. <clears throat> it's a very serious problem. I was down east for two days last week, you know, from Raleigh to Rocky Mount, uh, all the way to Moyoc, back to Elizabeth City, back out to the coast and back to Raleigh. And I can tell you that some of these counties Uh, who could least afford for this to happen are seeing sales tax revenues fall by 25%. Well,
1: and a number of these, uh, as you pointed out, a number of these uh, more rural areas in North Carolina were already under economic uh, pressure to begin with. Uh, The middle of the state, uh, particularly the the, uh, Crescent area from Raleigh around through Burlington, Greensboro, High Point, Lexington, Salisbury, and Charlotte, uh, relatively healthy, the area around Greenville and Wilmington and Asheville. But the rest of the state, uh, I guess some probably 70 of their counties, have been in a di- different economic situation to begin with. And, and so what are they going to do when they run out of money? What happens?
2: Well, the first thing we need to do is, is we don't need to be making decisions in Raleigh that make it worse. And uh, that's what I'm, I'm working on right now. Uh, secondly, in the in the words of uh, Warren Buffett, who many of your listeners, as well as yourself, are familiar with, uh, I'll clean this up a little bit for the radio. Uh, you know, Warren Buffett said 20 years ago, it's, it's hard to tell who doesn't have a bathing suit on until the tide goes out. And what this COVID-19 has created is the tide has gone out, Don, and it's created gaps, not just on the medical side, among dirt, certain regions. <laughs> Of North Carolina, but it's also uh, putting spotlight on the economic gaps that exist between different parts of North Carolina. As I said earlier, Charlotte and Charlotte sound just alike, but they're in far different battles right now to pull out of the uh, to pull out of this economic crisis. So the first rule of government <coughs> should be to do no harm. And uh, I continue to work as chair of the local government commission, not as chair of the banking commission, but chair of the local government commission to make sure that. We're doing everything we can uh, with transparency and consistently and with the right amount of data that can help these smaller counties and cities uh, weather the storm. I've been working a lot over the last three weeks in Terrell County. To give your listeners an idea, Terrell County is a county that you probably drive through in order to get to the Outer Banks. Terrell County has less population than Myers Park High School has students. That's how unpopulated Terrell County is. So anytime that the rest of the state catches cold, they catch pneumonia. And I could say that about a lot of cities between Raleigh and the ocean.
1: One of the things that, uh, that I'm a little bit concerned about, there seems to be a disconnect in the future projections between the Fed, which concerns money policy, the White House, which is uh, basically very optimistic that we're going to get over this quicker, and the stock market that seems to be somewhere in between. Um, How do we bring those three things together? Because uh, we're on a different course of uh, thinking with those three individual uh, uh, parts of our economy.
2: Well, two out of three of those groups are going to be wrong. I just can't tell you which one's. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, very good. I, you, you sound like uh, Mike Walden. Uh uh well you know, much speaking, as I don't money. make as much as Mike Go Walden ahead.
2: does. I don't make as much as Mike Walden does. Uh
1: the North Carolina pension of course is uh, of keen interest and you uh, are charged with uh, investing funds that keep that pension making money. Uh how has the value of the pension survived this situation? Where do we stand on that? I'm very
2: pleased to report to you and your listeners that this pension plan is the 26th largest pool of public money in the entire world. Just the pension plan at the Treasurer's Office is over $100 billion. We're paying out over $6 billion a year in pension benefits, a year. That is more than the state debt. And I'm very pleased to report with the extreme market volatility, the likes of which we've never seen in our lifetimes, that this pension plan for the fiscal year ending in two weeks is actually up five percent
1: from year to year. Yeah.
2: Year to year. And, yeah. um, it's up slightly for the calendar year. And, uh, I'm reporting this to your listeners as the state treasurer and keeper of the public purse, but I want to push the, uh, the accolades down to the investment management team and really every previous state treasurer during year in my lifetime, who have always uh, man, uh, conservatively managed this fund on behalf of those who teach, those that protect and that otherwise serve. We don't have a crystal ball, and we don't gamble. And the conservative nature in which this plan has been managed has, uh, has kept us in the check delivering business, unlike what's probably getting ready to happen in other states across the country.
1: Now, um, the, of course, we are always very proud of our state bond rating. And I, I suspect just from what I'm hearing from you, that our state bond rating is probably going to uh, remain the same, because as you said, we have been conservative, and we are less likely to have any sorts of uh, severe repercussions than a lot of people. Is that is that a true statement? Uh,
2: that is a true statement. Uh, there for your listeners and put this in context, there are 14 states that have the coveted triple, 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 that's trip, the AAA bond rating from all three rating agencies. And as much divisiveness uh, that exists in our state and our country right now, Don, I can assure you there's at least one thing that everyone in this state agrees on 100%. And that is that anytime you have to borrow money for public education, public roads or public safety or public works, being able to borrow it at the lowest possible interest rates is a value to all citizens and taxpayers across North Carolina. And the way that that manifests itself with the AAA bond rating, it's like a credit score for you and I, and it's like a sanitation grade for a restaurant. So the higher the bond rating you have, the uh, uh, cheaper that you can borrow money, which means allows you to buy more of all those things that I've that I've previously mentioned. There are 14 states that have a AAA bond rating. And as the state treasurer and keeper of the public purse, if only one state has it, I want it to be North Carolina.
1: Does that mean that uh, one of the solutions to our problem might be a big bond referendum? Because uh, one, that would provide jobs. And two, we can borrow money at a low rate. And three, we are solving something that we're going to have to work on anyway for infrastructure and such, roads, highways, sewer systems and such. Is this a good time for that? Well,
2: uh, that's something that's obviously being debated in the General Assembly. I will tell you <clears throat> that uh, what the rating agencies are saying, they're saying, a, in these tremendous short shortfall years, if you if you're going to dip into your reserves, you need to have a plan for repaying it. But the first thing they want us to do at all levels of government is watch the pennies and paperclips, which is exactly what your your uh, listeners and your businesses and your advertisers are having to do right now is watch the pennies and the paper clips so uh, you know uh, cut budgets and make sure you're living within your means but if you have to have reserves uh, you need to have a plan for rebuilding those reserves uh, as we come out of this and if you have to borrow money obviously you have to have a plan for paying it back
1: well, we do have some infrastructure needs, as we talked about before, so that is something I guess the General Assembly will have to take a real good look at, and as you said, it's kind of a balancing act. Well, it's a balancing act, and
2: and, and sometimes, as, as we've seen in the past, when you throw hundreds of millions or billions of dollars at a particular problem, because you're the only the biggest one there, you end up competing against yourself and driving up the cost of these projects. We need to make sure that doesn't happen.
1: Our guest is Dale Falwell, and we'll be back with one final segment here on Carolina Newsmakers uh, right after these messages.
0: Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. That's AARP.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed
1: Council. Hey,
0: Dad, how do airplanes fly?
2: What's in this box? Is this tree good for climbing? How are babies made? What does this thing do?
0: Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back with Dale Falwell of uh, the North Carolina State Treasurer. If you join our program late, of course, uh, it was well chronicled that uh, Dale was a victim of uh, COVID-19, and he uh, uh, spent uh, some time in the hospital recovering, and is now back to work. And uh, uh, we talked a little bit about that experience, and you might want to go over it just briefly again a little bit, Dale, of what your recommendations are to the folks about uh, your experiences. And then we want to turn to uh, just a sort of general question, and that is what are you working on right now and what's uh, at the top of your list? But let's start basically with a very quick recovery uh, return to the fact that uh, your recovering COVID nineteen patient.
2: Well, uh, it was it was a very uh, intense process. I was asymptomatic, which means I, I had uh, no fever, no headache, no shortness of breath, no GI issues, not no loss of taste or smell uh, that your listeners are, are accustomed to hearing about. Uh, uh, you can I can tell you after being hospital hospitalized for nearly six days. That you quickly learn there's a difference between being religious and being spiritual, and uh, I'm thankful to the those that that prayed for me and during those uh, touch and go hours that I was in the hospital for those that uh, held my hand and and touched me and 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 worked me through this. As far as the uh, the state itself, uh, uh, the, you know, this COVID-19 has uh, really impacted us uh, uh, economically, and I will say this that. You know, people don't really give a damn what political party you're a member of, Don. They just want their problems solved, especially now. And the problem that exists in North Carolina right now is job and food insecurity. And they, that's what they want right now. They want somebody who will attack the problems. And that's what we do on a daily basis <laughs> as keepers of the public purse at the treasurer's office.
1: So um, as you go to work after this broadcast, and by the way, as I've said several times, we're doing this broadcast via Zoom because all of our broadcasts now are being done that way uh, as a part of the distancing uh, uh, requirements and uh, suggestions. Um, So uh, uh, what's the absolute top of your list of concerns? Because we're going to have a big budget shortfall, as uh, we've already talked about a little bit uh you've also got the state health plan that we have not talked about so far what's the what's its state uh as uh, we uh, continue to have more and more folks who are dipping into the that uh uh util- utilizing their health insurance <coughs> and so forth
2: state health plans in great shape uh and one reason is that utilization of services has been uh locked down for a period of time also which means there's not been a lot of expenses of of going to the doctor and having surgeries and the the dentist and those types of healthcare uh, issues. So the financially the state health plan's uh, in great shape. Uh, As far as what's keeping me up at night, it's my concern about all the cities and counties, but especially the the smaller ones and the more rural ones. And uh, as I said earlier, this uh, economic virus, we have to stay uh, vigilantly focused on flattening the economic curve. Uh, because uh, some of these counties have been depopulating for a long period of time and so when something happens to these counties they just don't have the property tax base or the population base to spread these increased expenses or loss of revenues over uh, and one of the big deals uh, right now is uh, is the amount of money that cities and counties are taking in because of their inability to collect. So. Uh, that's why getting this unemployment system fixed is so critically important because when people uh, get these checks that they're entitled to, that allows them to pay their bills that helps their counties and communities and volunteer fire departments actually stay in business.
1: Well, it's an interesting time. And, and as you said, we're trying to, we have worked very hard on uh, flattening the curve of the spread of the virus. Although that uh, uh, is sort of flaring up again, as we speak right now, as, uh, Some of the uh, restrictions are lifted. Uh, I think it's only natural to think that we're going to have a few more cases. Uh, But uh, as you've said, equally important is finding some balance between that uh, uh, health curve and the economic curve, because both of them are equal in uh, solving the overall problem. Um, What are some of the other things we can do to sort of flatten out the economic curve? Push the power away
2: from Raleigh. Trust the common sense of North Carolinians and North Carolina businesses. Uh, you know there's there, there's so much common sense out there uh, across North Carolina at the local uh, governance level, as well as among businesses and individuals, and just push the power down to them. And and uh, you know they know what's best for their community. Uh, and I think that's what that's what needs to happen. And uh, these these leaders of these communities. Uh, they they know when there's going to be a hot spot. I mean, Goldsboro became a hot spot because we ultimately had 500 prisoners who tested COVID, nearly 500 who tested positive for COVID 19 in a population of 700 prison, inmates. So why did why did Goldsboro, North Carolina, become a COVID 19 hotspot? The prisoners weren't leaving every day. The employees were. So that, that's why that's why that's how all this thing kind of manifests itself. So. Push the power away from Raleigh down to the local leaders and the common sense of the citizens. And when a hot spot comes up, and the hot spots have been prisons and nursing homes, then then we attack that particular problem.
1: This is sort of outside of your uh, control, but uh, uh, you're an expert on it because of uh, your role as uh, the treasurer of the state of North Carolina. But, uh, as we all know, North Carolina, by law, has to have a balanced budget. The federal government does not, and of course, they're coming up with all sorts of programs, all of which is coming from borrowed money. Are you worried about the national debt and where how much debt more that uh, debt can the the federal government take on before that becomes a major concern?
2: Well, I thought it was a major concern for the last thirty years of my life, and uh, they continue to take on more and it's it's exponentially growing. Uh, you know, there's only one way to get rid of debt, Don. You pay it off, you default on it, or it gets inflated away because you've taken money that's worth less in the future. As the only three ways to get rid of debt, and uh, I think ultimately neither one of the first one's a great outcome for the United States, especially when you have so many foreigners who are actually about going to the and buying this debt and, and supporting this, this uh, deficit habit. But ultimately, uh, those are the only three things that can happen with debt. And we hope that we can get ourselves in an economic situation where it can be paid off.
1: Well, we are in an election year. And of course, this uh, also puts a lot of uh, uh, pressure on the elected officials and the General Assembly and the Congress and, and the, uh, in many cases, local offices as well. Uh, to be concerned about uh, their vote because they also have to worry about uh, getting reelected if they're up for reelection. So this creates yet another little twist to our situation. This would all be better off, I think, if this was happening in a non-election year.
2: Well, let me, let me, let me just add to that, that, okay. uh, you know, good policy makes good politics. Do it, and what Governor Martin has always told us, former North Carolina Governor uh, Jim Martin, that doing right is rarely wrong. Focus on what's figuring out what's right, getting it right, and keeping it right is never gonna be wrong, whether it's an election year or not.
1: Well, that's, that's good advice. And uh, interestingly enough, it, it, it always appears to me that in most cases, the, uh, the politician who does what's right is usually the one that gets reelected. I mean, that's, that's it's just kind of interesting. Well, uh, we appreciate, Dale, you being with us uh, again by remote, uh, by Zoom. Dale Falwell, the 28th treasurer of the state of North Carolina. Uh, We appreciate your comments and your insights, and I'm sure the listeners have enjoyed it very much. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, or if you're listening to one of the stations that carries only the half-hour version and like to listen to the rest of it, you can do so by going to carolinanewsmakers.com. So again, we'll have another guest again next week. Until next week, same time, in the same group of stations.